Can we give the Lord Jesus a hand of praise in the place? Oh, come on. Can we do better than that? Can we give our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, a praise that is worthy of a king? Hallelujah. Father, we are so grateful and we are so thankful for the privilege that we have to worship, to celebrate your goodness, but also to gather around your word. Your word is a lamp unto our feet. It is a light on our path. We cannot stumble in the dark as your word illuminates the way. Would you allow this word today to comfort us, to bring revelation about your love for us, to remind us of your goodness, especially in this season. And God, when this is all over with today in this place, we won't give any glory to any man or to any place, but we'll give all glory where it belongs, and that is to you, our Lord and our Savior. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen and amen. One more time, let's give Jesus... A big hand of praise. Amen. Well, this is a new way for Harvey Carey to be preaching and teaching. Uh, I, uh, I'm getting my Brad Powell on today. Um, uh, my daughter uh, graduated from the University of Michigan. She's an environmental scientist, and she moved. Yeah. And so she, she moved to uh, Baltimore and was working there for uh, about a year or so. And now I got hired back at the University of Michigan. And so she's now coming back to work. So I actually helped move her uh, out of her apartment and get her situated back here at home. So I, I drove to the mountains of Pennsylvania. I got the U-Haul truck unloaded. And there was just one item left, a big bed, you know, one of those bed frames. And, um, and I was coming at the edge of the U-Haul truck and fell off of the truck onto my ankle, and I have torn a tendon, and so I've got this fancy little boot on, and um, someone said that, uh, well, uh, I don't think you can preach sitting down. Uh, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. <laughs> Matthew chapter 1, as we talk about the love that perseveres, we're going to open with Matthew's gospel. As you're turning to Matthew's gospel, let me share a little bit about uh, the backdrop of why we're looking at this gospel today. During the holidays, the, the gospel of Luke is the primary gospel that most people refer to when we talk about the story of Jesus' birth. It's the one that talks about the angels that were uh, watching over their flocks by night, and uh, they heard the, uh, the choir, the chorus in heaven. Uh, it talks about the baby Jesus wrapped in swaddling clothes. Uh, those words are so familiar with us, and all of us pretty much equate uh, the Christmas story, uh, the birth of Christ, with Luke's account uh, of Jesus' birth. But the other gospel that gives more detailed account of Jesus' birth is that of Matthew's gospel. Matthew uh, was writing primarily to the Jewish ear, to the Jewish mind, and he was uh, really focusing on the fulfillment of the messianic promise. The people of God, the Israelites, uh, the Jews, had been promised that a Messiah would come through their lineage. And so uh, Matthew's gospel opens up with a genealogy or a family tree, as it were, of Jesus's uh, bloodline. And it tells us about uh, how he came into the world through all of those generations. Uh, the gospel of Mark, it opens up with John the Baptist uh, preparing the way for Jesus in his public ministry. And then it opens up with Jesus beginning some of his miracles. John's gospel opens up with the words, in the beginning was the word, 
and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then it says, and the word became flesh, and we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father. Even though it says that the word became flesh, John's gospel doesn't go into any detail about how the word became flesh. So really, it's two gospels that kind of give us really more detail about the birth of Christ, Luke's gospel and Matthew's. But in Matthew's gospel, we learn some things that I think are really specific to where we are in this season of the year. Uh, many of us are entering into the holidays with mixed emotions. There are many people that are excited, but there are many people that are, that are a bit fearful. Uh, there are many people that are uh, looking to be with family and friends, and there are many people that will be by themselves. And so uh, there are a lot of mixed emotions that go along with the holidays, and our prayer is that we can learn a little bit more about love that perseveres from the text. So let's look at Matthew 1, beginning at verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob. Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Abinadab. Abinadab the father of Nashon. Nashon the father of Salmon. Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Now, if you're like me, when you read a lot of this person begat that person begat that person, it doesn't seem that interesting. As a matter of fact, most of us quickly go past those kinds of things. When we read all of those who begat, who begat, who begat, we really don't care who begat who. And so we often go past that. However, you all, I think we don't ever need to look at any scripture and just jump over it. There's so much to be learned, and I believe that there's something we can learn about the story of Jesus' birth having a lot to do with his lineage. In those days when people gave uh, a breakdown of a genealogy or a family tree, they only included that of the men. It would be this, this father had this son, and then that son had this son, and it would go on and on. Women were rarely mentioned in genealogies. Women were rarely referred to in genealogies because in those days, uh, it was, the woman would, did not really play a very prominent part uh, in the story uh, of families in that time. However, if you notice, when we looked at Matthew's gospel, there's some interesting things that automatically jump off of the page when we look at the lineage or the family tree of Jesus. If you, if you don't mind looking back at it, look at what it says in verse 3. It says, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. And so we now see the introduction of a woman, a first woman that is mentioned in the text. Uh, it says that Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Tamar, you all, was a very beautiful woman and, her, uh, and found herself in some very uh, compromising positions and ended up having uh, some things done to her that caused her great shame, uh, ended up having a violation that caused her great shame. And you all, can you imagine a woman violated by someone that she loves, living the rest of her days with the cloud of shame over her. But yet God saw fit to include in his family line and in his genealogy, in his lineage, this woman who had to deal with this amazing scourge of shame. But not only that, you all, if you go down a little bit further, it talks about someone else that's pretty interesting. Uh, look at verse 5. It says, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was 
Rahab, Rahab, Rahab. So now we see another woman that is mentioned in Jesus' lineage uh, by the name of, woman by the name of Rahab. Uh, when the spies, uh, the Israelite spies, were getting ready to go into the land of promise, uh, Jericho, uh, they had to go and kind of scout out the land. And so word was given to them that there would be someone who would drop out a red rope out of the window. And that when you see that red, red rope hanging off the wall of this window, then you can enter into that place and you will find refuge and you will find solace as you all are going to spy on Jericho. Well, the one whose house it was where the red rope was hanging uh, was Rahab. Now, surely, as we look at the story of uh, Rahab bringing in these spies, surely she had to be somebody who had a wonderful reputation in Jericho. Rahab had to be a Sunday school teacher. Rahab had to be a worship leader. Rahab had to be somebody that was greatly used of God uh, since she was going to be the one welcoming in God's people as God's plan was getting ready to be executed. Can I tell you what Rahab's profession was? Rahab was a prostitute. Now listen, y'all, I don't know why she had a red rope uh, handy. But homegirl just had to have, she just happened to have a red rope hanging around. So listen, y'all, all I'm saying is this. Tamar, who lived under the cloud and the scourge of shame, Rahab, a prostitute, a woman of bad reputation and ill repute, these are individuals that God chose to use in his bloodline. What does that have to do with us? Because most of us in the room come from dysfunctional families. Now, don't, 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 don't say amen too much because you might be sitting with your dysfunctional family. Now, you all, the holidays represent a lot of uh, uh, deep emotions for people because you've got to spend the next few weeks uh, being with family members who literally drive you insane. Uh, you've got to pretend like you are okay with your sister who you really cannot stand at all. You've got to pretend that you're okay with your brother who you really can't stand at all. And I don't know about you, is it, is it, have you ever wondered, are you adopted? I mean, have you, 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 you know you look like them, but there's nothing else that is like them other than the look. And you ask yourself, why am I a, a Brady Bunch kid in an Adams family crib? <laughs> Come on now, you, you, you know you ask that question. Why, why am I a Partridge family kid in this crazy place? Listen. You are not alone. The fact that your family is filled with drama, the fact that your family is filled with issues and, and difficulties, and I'm making light of this, but some of you all, the issues are not that light. Some of you all have faced verbal abuse. Some of you all have faced emotional abuse. Every time you face the holidays, you almost re-enter back into an abusive environment, and you wonder, why did God place me in this kind of dysfunctional family? You're not alone, because Jesus came out of a dysfunctional family, and if Jesus can come out of a dysfunctional family and save the world, then God can use you and your crazy family. Amen. That's good news to somebody. But it's not over, you all. Uh, also, if we keep looking down, verse, verse 5, Sam and the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, listen, the father of Obad, listen, whose mother was Ruth. 
Ruth, you all, was not a Israeli. Ruth was not a Jewish woman. She was a foreigner. Uh, and so she intermarried. This is now a mixed marriage, right? A racially mixed marriage. Two races living together. So he comes from one person living under the cloud of shame, another one living under the cloud of a bad reputation, and another one coming out of a mixed marriage. How amazing it is that Jesus enters into the world and that the love of God perseveres even through a dysfunctional bloodline. But not only that, you all, if we look further down, and I love this kind of last thing that he kind of threw in here. Um, it says in verse 6, and Jesse, the father of King David, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. So now here we got another woman that's mentioned. And these are the only women that are mentioned. Isn't it interesting? That, and it's not by accident. God intentionally mentioned these, mentions these women because he wants to remind us that the, introduce, the introduction of Christ into the world, Jesus' birth into the world, was he came through unbelievable challenge in his family. That his, that his genealogy, his family tree, was so messed up. So now we find that um, this individual, Solomon, his mother was Uriah's wife. Well, they didn't name her name, but her name is Bathsheba. And many of you all know that David, while he should have been out at war, uh, was at home, uh, and he was out on the terrace looking down, and he saw this woman bathing and called her into his private chambers and ended up being with her, sleeping with her. Finding out that she was married, as opposed to having remorse, he then orders to have Uriah on the front line. Uriah gets murdered. Uriah gets killed. He ends up having a child out of this union whose name is Solomon. And out of the lineage of Solomon comes Jesus. Jesus comes out of now an adulterous relationship. Jesus comes out of a prostitute. Jesus comes out of a mixed marriage. Jesus comes out of a woman who's faced some domestic abuse and violence. And so many of you all that are here and wondering, how can Jesus' love permeate my family? How can the love of God permeate my family situation? Let me tell you something. No matter how messed up your family is, the love of God and his perseverance has enough power to break through the dysfunction of your family and shine his light and his love even in your jacked up family. Tell somebody next to you, God loves you. Amen. He loves you. Isn't that good news? Come on now. Somebody, you're already thinking a little bit different about your family. Jesus' love perseveres even through an interesting and sordid family background. You guys, I know many people that feel as though their families define them and almost feel as though their families create a lid as to how far they can go in life because of what their families have done to them, what their families have not done to them, what their families have offered them, or what their families have not offered them. It's almost as though they feel as though their life is, is kind of uh, defined by their genealogy. Your genealogy does not define you. It's God that defines you. And God can move in any family dynamic the way that he wants. And listen, could it be that God has allowed you to be saved? Could it be that God has allowed you to have a relationship with him so that you, listen, so that you could be the one who represents him at the dinner table? That you could be the one that speaks up and represents his love, his forgiveness at the time of fellowship with your family? 
As opposed to thinking about what they're not, as opposed to thinking about what they're saying or what they're not saying and what they're doing and what they're not doing, wouldn't it be awesome if you could say, Jesus, thank you that as you came through all of those very challenging uh, family dynamics, you are also with me in my very challenging family dynamic. God is with you. But not only that, you all, there's another thing uh, that we want to notice. Look at verse 17. Thus there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. So 42 generations in all for Jesus to finally show up on the scene. 42 generations of waiting on God. 42 generations of a promise that was yet to be fulfilled. I don't know about you, but I prayed some prayers that are not yet answered. I've asked God to do some things that he's not yet done. And sometimes when they don't happen the way that we want them and when we want them, we question whether or not God heard us. We question whether or not he cares. We question sometimes, is he able? But I came to let you know that God may not show up when you want him to. He may not show up the way you want him to. But when he shows up, it will always be on time. God will show up in the right time, in the right way, for the right reasons. 42 generations, but when the fullness of time had come, and I love that scripture when it says it that way, when the fullness of time, when it was ready, when things were right, when the conditions were right, when everything was as it should be, that is when the Lord decided to, to break through and to come into human history. Could it be that your prayers are not answered, not because God hasn't heard you, but the fullness of time has not come? Could it be that God wants you to know that his love is persevering while you're being patient? Wait. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord and be of good courage. Wait on the Lord. Wait on him. He will show up, not in the way you want, not when you want, not how you want, but he will always show up at the right time. So the love of God, the love of Jesus perseveres through a very uh, interesting family dynamic through 42 generations of waiting. But then there's another interesting dynamic that we see. Not only does he show up, the love of God perseveres through our story, but it also perseveres through our struggle. The love of God perseveres through our struggle. Look at the next verse, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she, found, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David... Do not be afraid to make Mary, uh, to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded and uh, took Mary home as his wife. When we read this, I believe we read this and we kind of almost read it, read it listening uh, like, like James Earl Jones was reading this. You know, uh, uh, I think when we read the Bible, we kind of almost remove ourselves from what it's really saying. And we get caught up in the artistry sometimes and the, the wonderful uh, way in which the scripture is written and the beauty of it. Uh, and so we read, and, uh, and this took place 
to fulfill what the Lord had said. You know, and so, so let me break this down and share this in Harvey Carey version of this. Mary was fine. Mary was beautiful, and Joseph saw Mary out of the corner of his eye and said, man, I want to marry that girl. And he started figuring out a way he could talk to her, and maybe while they were around the watering hole, he found a way to be around the watering hole at the same time at the well, and he came, hey, what's going on with you, Mary? And I've been looking, and she saw him, and she, and they had that twinkle in their eye, and they got to know each other, and finally, he popped the question, Mary, will you marry? me. And she said, sure I will. And then he went over to Holland's uh, Jewelers and got a ring and put a ring on her finger, a big rock on her finger, got a website, Mary and Joe, coming soon. I mean, had Evite sent out everybody in the town. Everybody knew that Mary and Joe were getting ready to be married. So excited about it. So Joe comes home one day from work, and Mary comes by to visit, and she says, I've got an announcement to make. He said, what is it, that you love me? Uh, I mean, what's the announcement? She says, I'm pregnant. Not only that, I'm pregnant by God. Okie dokie. You are, pre first of all, we, I know it ain't me. Because we ain't, yeah, it ain't me. And not only have you disgraced me by being pregnant, but you've got the gall, you've got the nerve to tell me, you won't even tell me that it's that guy Tyrone around the corner. Because I saw you talking to him when I walked away from the well Thursday. So at least be honest, Mary, that you and Tyrone got together, but you got the nerve to say, God is the daddy. You all, can you imagine the shame? Can you imagine the betrayal? Can you imagine the broken heart? Now, now, he still loved her, so he did not, according to the law, he was able to not only divorce her, but he also could actually have her stoned. And so he was conflicted that I love this girl, but she's betrayed me and she's lying to me. And how in the world can I marry someone that's a liar that's betrayed my trust? Joseph is in the middle of one of the biggest struggles of his life. He goes to sleep. I'm sure he's praying on this. And an angel comes and visits him. And the angel says, Joseph, what Mary says is true. The one that uh, has allowed her to conceive, it is the Holy Spirit. And now you, Joseph, are to name your son. His name shall be Jesus, for he shall save the people from their sins. And he will be the one that the prophets foretold. He will be Emmanuel. He will be the one that the Lord God is with us. He wakes up and he finally obeys what the Lord says. But you all, in the midst of this struggle... That's how Jesus came into the world. From that day forward, even though, listen, even though the angel spoke to Joseph, even though the angel spoke to Mary, the angel didn't speak to the town. Even though the angel spoke to Joseph, it didn't speak to Joseph's mama and Joseph's daddy and them. Joseph had to, for the rest of his life, uh, walk around town knowing in his heart that this child is a product of God and a product of the Spirit, but everybody else believed that was a product of Tyrone. 
Jesus uh, was even under a cloud of suspicion because everyone when he was born were like, oh, that's right, you're the son of that couple that had the interesting childbirth. Can you imagine Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the Redeemer of mankind, being born under that cloud of shame? That's how he came into the world. Not only do we see the story of the manger, not only do we see the story of his poverty and the swaddling clothes and there's no room in the inn, but we also now see the story of a sordid family background in this cloud of shame and suspicion that enters into his entryway into the humanity. What does that have to do with us? Many of us are in some situations that are pretty shameful. Many of us are dealing with some things that are very difficult coming up on this season of the year. Many of you all are in the midst of a marital strife that is unsolvable to you. Some of you all have already had maybe a breakup. And now this is the first Christmas that you've got to spend without the one that you've called your loved one. Maybe you've lost someone. Maybe your children have gone astray. And, and, and let me just kind of come back and circle back and say this. I said this at the earlier services is that uh, I'm so grateful every time I'm invited here. Brad is a dear friend. And, um, and this might be one of the things that he might not let me come back after I say this. All right. So, <laughs> so you do know I'm black. All right. And, uh, and so every now and then I want to, not for the, not, not, listen, not by God's, not trying to create any deeper wedges in our society because we've got enough of them, right? Not trying to do that. But sometimes just at least kind of showing the difference between how uh, white people are in some ways and how black people are, right? So when I go to the mall and I watch how white people are with their kids, some of them, uh, it amazes me how many times you call your kid to come back and stop doing stuff. Um, Tommy, put that down. Tommy, pop, Tommy, Tommy, put that down. Tommy, I'm not going to say it again. Tommy, Tommy, put it down one more time. Tom, one, two, Tommy, Tommy, what? I wish my mama would have called my name more than one time. Black people, we call our name child one time. Put it down. If you don't put it down, you're about to be put down. Spare the rod, spoil the child. So let me just throw it out here. I'm not talking about abuse. I don't want no emails from any social service people talking about I'm, I'm talking about what the Bible says. Spare the rod, spoil the child. And here's a thought. It's just a thought. How in the world are you stressing out about what to get your kid for Christmas and your child has flunked out of every course, has disrespected you all the time, and now you're about to get them an Xbox? Are you for real? You mean to tell me, you mean to tell me you are about to break the bank to get your kid an Xbox, and they don't even know how to draw X? <laughs> Here's the thought. Here's the thought. Here's the thought. Now, I know ain't no young people going to like me. Every young person going to hate me, but whatever. Go behind Target and buy, get a box and put X on it. And say, Merry Christmas. Until I get some better grades and a better attitude, you ain't getting no Xbox, Y box, Z box, no box. I'm going to get you some clothes, some socks, a hat. 
back to the text. <laughs> now, what I do know is that some parents are contemplating this thing in their heart. Some parent is saying, wait a minute, why am I rewarding, uh, you know, so anyway, just think about it. And, and listen, I'm not saying that your children should not get things. We ought to be a blessing to our children, but just know one thing. They should also be a blessing to the household. They should be respectful, and they should do the thing. All we want them to do is go to school in mind. We don't ask, we don't ask them to do nothing else. Go to school and do what I tell you to do. That's all you ask. And if they can't do that, then you should not be stressing out about getting them what they want since they can't get you what you want. Just a thought. Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. So not only do we see Jesus' family line and his lineage being filled with people that were uh, of kind of, you know, bad backgrounds, and God used it to let his love persevere through that story, but we also see the struggle that Joseph had and the struggle about how Jesus even entered into the world and the, the cloud that hung over his birth and his entry and how the love of God persevered through that. But not only that, his love even perseveres in our safety. Look at Luke, uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born, in Bethlehem. In Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may too go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. The next verse tells us that Jesus was uh, taken, his family was warned by God, and they went into Egypt to hide there for a season. So now you all, we hear the story of the three wise men. And I don't want to ruin your Christmas, but many times we, we, we mix the stories of Luke's gospel with Matthew's, and we take the magi, and we insert them in the manger, right? So all of a sudden we see the three wise men coming and bringing gifts to Jesus in the manger. We really believe that Jesus was about two years old at this time when the magi finally arrived to his house. Because if you notice we, that, that Mary's in a house, she's not in an inn. And so the Magi have been informed in a prophecy that there would be a king born and that the star would announce his birth. And to follow that star and the star would settle or rest above the place where the king is going to be born. When they arrive in the province of the area in which Jesus is, is going to be born, they encounter King Herod. Herod is a very jealous king, extremely uh, paranoid about the one that would take over his kingdom. And as a matter of fact, wants 
to ensure that no one will take it over by making sure that every child two years and under is murdered and killed. And so uh, in an attempt to get a little bit more information, he asked these magi some questions. Uh, about what time did the star appear? When did you first see it? Realize that the, the travel time that it took them would have now allowed the child to be close up to two years of age. He then says, well, tell you what, when you go and find exactly where he is, come back and report to me so that I can come and worship him. Well, he was not going to come to worship him. He was going to go and kill him. You all, here is Jesus being born in and around now the threats of his death. Long before Calvary, the enemy was out to destroy him. Long before the cross, the enemy was out to destroy him. King Herod had a mission to ensure that this Jesus, this child, would not grow up and become the king that would finally overthrow and overpower him. Now, what does that have to do with us? Many of us, when we've come to Christ and come to know him, we wonder why things don't always work out. I don't know about you, but when I first got saved, I thought I would be kind of tiptoeing through the tulips. I thought the moment that I got saved, things would be wonderful. Everybody would like me. The, the sun would always be shining. When I would go outside and it was snowing, snow would not fall on me. Uh, it would just be like a, you know, a bubble over my house. I mean, I just, I just had this really kind of crazy view. Bottom line, uh, for those of us that are Christian, when you became a Christian, it seemed like the opposition ratched up a bit. It seemed like people, for some reason, don't like you as much. Now, for some of y'all, it ain't got nothing to do with Jesus. Some of y'all just are unlikely, unlikable people. <laughs> Can I tell you how, how you're unlikable, some of y'all? Like, things that have been funny today, you've not laughed. That's, that, <laughs> that would be why people don't like you, you know. When I said turn to somebody and you just didn't. That's why people don't like you. So, so please don't blame that on like, oh yes, I'm so close to Jesus that people don't like me. For some of you, you're just unlikable, okay? So, <laughs> however you all, there are some things that happen, and you know this, that, that we do not control. There are things that the enemy of God, that Satan himself does against the believer. And know one thing, when you're running with the devil, you're not going to get a p opposition from him. When you're running with him, there's not going to be opposition. But the moment that you become a Christ follower, you now are in direct opposition with the kingdom of darkness. So the enemy is doing everything he can to do what? To kill, to steal, and to destroy. Same thing he was trying to do with Jesus. But I came to let you know that in the midst of the opposition that you're facing right now, some of you all are dealing with coworkers that want to see you fired. Some of you all are dealing with people in your family that you know are out to get you. Some of you all are dealing with people that you know do not like you and are planning and scheming to hurt you. But I came to let you know that no matter what the weapon is that is being formed, the Bible says no weapon formed against you has the power to prosper. It means that the weapon, listen, hold on, the weapon will form, but the formed weapon will not have power. Don't worry about what they're plotting to do. They can plot all day. But the Bible says, Jesus says, I am come that they might have life and have life more abundantly. Greater is God in you than the opposition that is against you. Don't you let your boss, don't you let your coworker, don't you let your sister, don't you let your brother, don't you let the economy, don't you let the world tell you that God is not on the throne. You all, I know that our world is crazy. I know that there are things that are happening that are making all of us afraid. I've never seen more divisiveness. I've never seen more evil in our day than I see right now. It's unbelievable the things that we're seeing, the uncertainty of the markets, on and on and on. But can I give you a little secret? Can I give you a little tweet? Can I give you a little Facebook live post? 
God is still on the throne. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what's happening in the world. It doesn't matter what's happening in your family. It doesn't matter what's happening in your job. As long as Jesus is still on the throne, God is greater than any situation that this world will ever throw against him. He is God. He is God. He is God. Woo! Glory to God. Is there anybody excited about the fact that Jesus is on the throne? He's on the throne. He's on the throne. He is on the throne. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So now the Magi are warned to not tell Herod. And they make sure that they do not inform him of where Jesus is. Uh, and let me just say this little caveat. So uh, the scripture says uh, in the next verse that uh, the, the angel warns them to go and hide in Egypt. Um, now, I'm not into the black Jesus thing because I don't think, you know, you know, Jesus didn't have an Afro, you know, black Jesus. But how are you going to hide in Egypt if you don't look a little Egyptian? <laughs> Just a dog. And for all y'all that don't understand that, I can't hide in Livonia. I can't hide in Livonia. When I go to Livonia, they're going to ask me, can I help you? <laughs> but you all, the point I want to uh, lift up in these last four minutes and three seconds that I have <laughs> is what the Magi did when they arrived with the Christ child. Look what it says in verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So they come into the presence of the king. These wise men, they're wise, right? These wise men come into the presence of Jesus. And the first thing that they do is they bow down and they worship him. And then they open up the most uh, precious gifts that they could bring. And they give him gold. They give him frankincense. They give him myrrh. These, these incredibly uh, uh, expensive spices and ointments and this gold, and they present it to him. And you all, wise people recognize when they're in the presence of royalty. Wise people recognize what royalty demands, what royalty deserves, what royalty should have. And so these wise men didn't come empty-handed. They came with the intention to give to this king that that would be befitting of a king. Every time I come to Northridge, I always encourage us to do something. And I think many of us think that it's just a hype moment. Oh, it's not hype. I often say, it's time to give God praise. Now, some people say, well, you know, I don't feel like it. You know, that's just not my personality. I'm not into that. Harvey, I know that that's your thing. You, you do the praise thing. I'll do something else. But yet I've said before, I've seen that same person in, 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 in the big house. I've seen that same person at Michigan Stadium. And that same person that ain't into that have painted their face green and white, maize and blue, and they are screaming to the top of their lungs for some people that have done nothing for them. I've seen the same people go downtown to the Joe, and they have lost their mind over some people putting a puck into a net. 
I've seen the same people go down to Ford Field and literally lose their minds when someone runs across a, 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 a piece of a field with a line in it and with a piece of pig skin. I've seen people go crazy over people that have not paid your bills, have not healed your body, have not redeemed your life. But then when it comes time to give God praise, well, I'm not into that. I believe that when we come into the house and we see Jesus in the house, we ought to bring to the king what we can bring. You might not have brought gold. You might not have brought frankincense. You might not have brought myrrh, but you did bring some worship and you did bring some praise. So in a few seconds, I'm going to ask about four or five of y'all who God has been good to you. Before we enter into this Christmas season, don't you dare let the devil steal your joy. Don't you dare let the devil tell you that God is not on the throne. No matter how jacked up your family is, God going to use you in your family. No matter how much of a cloud is around you, God can still be with you even in your shame. No matter how many people are out to get you, no weapon formed against you will prosper. And armed with that information, the redeemed of the Lord ought to get ready to say so. So in about three seconds, I'm going to ask you, if God has been good to you, if God has done anything for you, if God is on the throne, is there anybody here? Is there anybody here that loves Jesus? Give God up. Clap your hands, oh ye people. Shout, 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 shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for saving us. Woo! Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to your name, Jesus. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful. We are so grateful that you have come through our families of dysfunction and you've shown your love to us. Thank you for even in our shame, showing your love for us, even for weapons that are formed against us. Thank you for protecting us. And as we enter God into this season, let us be mindful of this love that perseveres. And for the person who is here who has not accepted you, Jesus, we now, God, give them that opportunity, sir, Ma'am, if you're here and you've never given your life to Christ, young man, young lady, all you've got to do, the Bible says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart the Lord Jesus, that God raised him from the dead and you can be a part of God's family. How do I do that, Pastor? Just pray this prayer simply. Jesus, I trust you to be my Savior. That's it. In that one prayer, you just invited Jesus into your life. And guess what? Your journey is just beginning, but it is the greatest journey you will ever be on. Now, God, I thank you for this church. I thank you, Lord God, for all that this church does. I thank you for the glory of Christmas and the opportunity that so many people that are far from you get an opportunity to experience you and an excellent opportunity to experience the joy of Christmas. God, would you be glorified in the days, the weeks ahead as we uh, expect with ex excitement your coming. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Can we give the Lord another praise?
If you accepted Christ today, if you made the decision to accept Christ, we encourage you to fill out this form. Just tear it off. Let us get some information about you outside of every exit. There's some boxes. Drop that in. Uh, someone will get back to you. We want to help you with next steps. Anyone that needs prayer, there are prayer counselors that are down front for prayer. God bless the North Ridge. Merry Christmas. Love perseveres.